Welcome to Music in the Church, a podcast about thinking bigger in your faith and your ministry. I'm Sarah Breeza, and today we are talking about hymns and how to help people sing them. I am joined by my dear friend Crawford Wiley. Hey, Sarah. You may remember Crawford as the former co-host of Music and the Church, and I am so delighted that he is back here. This is going to be a blast. So today we're talking about hymns and specifically the way that we encounter hymns as a congregation. Basically, we're talking about mediums, and I don't mean like mediums like woo-woo mediums, but like the media by which we encounter hymns in our church setting or congregational songs in our church setting. There are basically four ways of um, presenting a hymn to a congregation. You could use a hymnal, you could use a screen, you could use something paper like a bulletin or an order of worship or an insert, a handout, something paper. And you can also do paperless means, um, which could include something like lining out. And it could include um, other means of oral tradition, other means of oral teaching. Yeah. And I think it's important to note right at the beginning that these are not tied necessarily to any particular musical style. So this is one thing that yeah. we kind of discovered in our pre-recording talk is that Pretty much any form of congregational hymnody, whether that's contemporary or traditional or any blend of that in between, that's that's not really the issue. These these are not tied to style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're not tied to denomination or faith practice. There are more progressive churches that use hymnals. There are more conservative churches that use screens or whatever the medium is, whatever that media that we that we use to 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 share the music with the congregation. It really isn't tied to our beliefs. And I think that that's Crawford, I think maybe that's where we have to start actually because that's where people get really um really upset about things. Yeah, I think so. Because when you encounter a medium that's different from what is familiar to you, the the assumption tends to be that the medium will influence your content, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I grew up in um, conservative places where people would say these these were not conservative Pentecostal play, places, and people would be like, "Oh no, if you if you get rid of the hymnal, then people can put their hands up like those Pentecostals." And oh, right. it yeah. sounds humorous right now, but it was completely serious. Yeah, like that a, a certain way of communicating the hymn to the congregation will alter the hymn itself or will alter mm-hmm. your way of making music. And I mm-hmm. I think we could state right at the beginning that that's just not necessarily true. The more experience mm-hmm. you have along interdenominational lines, the more you see that various media of hymn communication can exist along any range of the spectrum of hymnody as it exists mm-hmm. in the churches yeah. today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sure there are some denominations where all four of these options are not available to them. But by and large, in bigger denominations, you could find all these different kinds of things, maybe even in, you know, in the same service. Um, some services oh, definitely. have more than one. In fact, many services have more than one. I've been in a lot of churches where um, the music was presented in a paper format, like a like a printed handout kind of thing, and in the hymnal. And that was just available to everybody every single service. Yeah, speaking as a Catholic musician, obviously there are pretty well-known Catholic hymnals. There's worship and gather and ritual song. And there's also lots of Catholic churches that use screens to project the Mm -hmm. lyrics to Mm -hmm. different songs. And then here at St. Jude's, for instance, we use orders of worship. So that's paper Mm -hmm. means of reproduction, you know, a different 
a different way of communicating every week. And then there's also stuff that's just memorized, like the congregation knows the Lord's Prayer, for example, or maybe the congregation has the responses to the Mass prayers memorized, you know, so they'll, they'll sing things without any form of visible communication. Mm -hmm. And that's all in the same denomination, the same, even the same church. Yeah, yeah. You don't even have to leave the denomination to experience that. It seems that many um, Catholic churches use missiles. Uh, actually, Carver, tell me, what is the right word for the, like, you throw it away after a year hymnal? What's that called? Oh, sure. Like a missalette. Yeah. A missalette. Yeah. Ah, the missalette. Well, you know, I outside of, um, I've never seen this outside of Catholic churches, but it's like a hymnal. That is, it's like a paperback and you get rid of it after a year. It's on cheap paper. Yeah. And it'll contain the readings for the year and that sort of mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a kind of, it's a like a disposable hymnal in a way. Yeah. And, uh, you know, strange for me out, outside of um, Catholicism, but you know, it's, it's got your readings there. I, I understand why churches would um, would choose to use that. It, it, it can work really well for them and then they don't have to juggle multiple books and they don't have to print orders of worship. So, yes. yeah. Crawford, do you want to dive into hymnals? Should we start with hymnals? Yeah, let's start with hymnals. I feel like hymnals are the ones that um, – hymnals and screens are the ones that make people most upset. Conservatives tend to like the hymnals. More progressive people tend to like the screens. But, you know, that's that's a gross caricature. Yeah, and like that, that distinction may not bear – may not bear out in reality, but it still exists kind of as a bugbear in people's minds. So you think, oh, screens will no longer sing the hymns that we know, you know, mm -hmm. and you think, oh, hymnals, we're stuck singing old people words, you know, and mm -hmm. that, that mm -hmm. can be an assumption that I think it's just kind of good to explode right at the beginning. Like there are lots mm -hmm. of really progressive hymnals. Crawford, you mentioned how sometimes with hymnals, we think, oh, th these are the old people words. <laughs> And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that this is interesting because there are some hymnals, and I use one that is um, would probably fall under the more progressive label, but it's from the 90s. And you know what? That means it doesn't have songs from the last 30 years. And it's um, I think that's one of the strengths of hymnals in some people's mind. Well, I've got the 1940 Episcopal hymnal, and I'm, I'm staying with the 1940 Episcopal hymnal. I don't need anything else, you know? And I, I know people who think that. Um but that can also be the weakness of a hymnal that once you have the hymnal, you've, you're kind of stuck with it. And it's such an expensive layout at the outset. You don't want to change every 10 years. Yeah, no, expensive. you really don't. And that means that you're, if you invest in a hymnal as your only way of having a congregation sing hymns, like that, mm -hmm. that can really alter your understanding of what hymnody is in the life of the congregation. Mm -hmm. So you're effectively and saying, just like we don't have new scripture readings, you know, or just like we don't have new Psalms other than the 150 that are already there. So also we don't have new hymns. And like, maybe, maybe that's how you want to approach it. But I would say that can be kind of troubling as a church yeah. musician. You know, if you're, if you're thinking of the hymns that we have as something set, you know, something kind of carved in stone, which effectively the cost of a new hymnal creates that you know so so you're you're not going to have a new hymnal every 10 years mm -hmm. but some churches do wear out hymnals and i'm thinking of the churches that i grew up in where you'd have three services a week and we sang a lot of music and we did actually wear through hymnals but for most of us you've got one or two services on a sunday morning and the hymnals can last a really 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 long time so you don't have that excuse of our books are falling apart we really have to get something new yeah, exactly. Like the, I'm thinking, for instance, of the hymnals here at St. Jude's. We use the 
older edition of Ritual Song. And I think mm-hmm. they are falling apart. But also, just a second. Yeah, let me check the print date because I'm pretty sure we've gotten... Okay, yeah. So these were published in the year of our Lord 1996. So, you oh, know, a yeah. lot... <laughs> you know, no wonder the hymnals are old. Um, No wonder they're in not amazing shape. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, mm-hmm. we've been using them since 1996. That was before my adult sister was born. So, yeah. you know, that's like a lot has happened since 1996, even just in hymnody, you know, not to, mm-hmm. not to say of anything else. But at the same time, those of us working in more traditional services, it's not like the core repertoire of our services has really changed in the last 30 years. Some that's also that's true. Bad. Some people think that's good. But like, We've added a few songs, you know, a few, but not, it's not like, it's not like we quote unquote need a new hymnal in terms of our core repertoire having shifted so much. Yeah. And I, like, I would have to admit myself, like any dissatisfaction that I have with Ritual Song primarily isn't just because it doesn't include newer hymnody. Like it's, it's other mm-hmm. problems with it that mm-hmm. are the, mm-hmm. that would be. Yeah primary yeah, thoughts. Yeah. So yeah. So you have you have a hymnal and a hymnal is a way of ensuring what would be the best way to say this? A hymnal is a way of ensuring that for as long as you use that hymnal in your particular congregation, you have a constant source of the same words and the same mm-hmm. music. You have a denominationally vetted source. Yeah, that's also true. If you're using a denominational hymnal, which not everyone uses a denominational hymnal. And some denominations have many hymnals, but... Yes, yeah. But yeah, so you you have, for as long as you're using a particular hymnal and using that hymnal as your source, not using other things as the source, you have... Like not using supplements. A thing that people can quote from. You know, people will be able to memorize hymns from that hymnal, and they'll have mm-hmm. that in common. Mm-hmm. And in some faith traditions, they could buy it and bring it home. You know, they've got their home copy of that same hymnal. Yeah, exactly. So if you have if you have a musically literate congregation that has, you know, family musical life, yeah, that's another way of the hymnal mm-hmm. existing in people's lives. Maybe people use their hymnal if they're kind of attached to it. Maybe they use it for their personal devotional life. That's mm-hmm. definitely not unheard of. <laughs> I remember falling a little bit more in love with my then boyfriend, now husband, um, because he had a copy of his church's hymnal at home. And, you know, we sat there singing out of the hymnal. Like, and I was like, oh, he's yeah, so yeah, he's got his church's hymnal. And I, I don't think he had purchased the copy. I think the, I think the music director was like, you need to learn the, learn the line before you come in. So you can be the one, <laughs> the one man here singing the one man's line. <laughs> um, but, you know, all the same, like, yeah, there, there's the hymnal and that's, that's something that we can do. Yeah, there's a level of attachment. And like that is, and it's worth saying, because like we'll say plenty of other stuff that's like not great on hymnals. It is worth mm-hmm. saying like this is a thing that hymnals are particularly good for. It's yeah. difficult to have that range, you know, because you're not, you probably aren't going to memorize everything that's in your hymnal. So like mm-hmm. you're going to have this wide oh God, range of things like that can be of- in your hymnal. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So you'll, you'll have this available to you as a constant and and I think an important word would be a common source. So this is the same mm-hmm. for your whole congregation. Here's this collection of hymns that you all can sing and know for a really long time or mm-hmm. as long as your hymnal lasts. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that that's the case, especially I think in denominations that don't have as 
many hymnals, like I think in Catholicism, Catholicism is so big and there are so many different hymnals, it's not quite as common. Yeah, but say the United Methodist Church is really united around its hymnal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or um, I'm thinking especially of the Episcopal Church because you've got the um, Anglican churches that have the uh, 1940 hymnal. And um, and then you've got Episcopal churches that have the uh, 1982 hymnal. And you know what? It's the 1982 hymnal plus supplements. And that that's it. And I, I have noticed in Episcopal congregations how well people know certain hymns that are utterly unfamiliar to me because this oh, is their hymn. yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a there's a str- there can be a really strong connection to the physical object and the thing it can, the things it contains and mm-hmm. like that's what a hymnal that's what a hymnal does best. Mm-hmm. I think I think hymnal hymnals also can do aesthetics really good. R- r- they they do good at aesthetics. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, hymnals can be really nice to look at. They can be really nice to hold. Yeah, Not that's always. that's absolutely true. There are true. exceptions, but generally speaking, hymnals are very nicely put together. Yeah, and like a hymnal can communicate, and this is this is really relevant. A hymnal can communicate the way that your particular congregation or your denomination, in either case wants to think about the hymns that it's singing. So, for instance, does your congregation's hymnal have a section called Trust in Jesus? You know, or or does your congregation's hymnal just have, and I'm thinking of a particular hymnal that does this, you've got the church year and then everything else is grouped under general hymnody, you know, so like- Oh my goodness. That's, you know, that's a way of- yeah, it's a massive category, you know, and so you would have to use the indexes in the back. I think that's an editorial cop-out. Oh, sure. But, like, that's that's a way that a particular hymnal organizes things. So mm-hmm. you think, does your hymnal, by the way that it groups hymns, does it influence the way that you think about how hymnody exists in your own life? Do you have a section of the hymnal called Trials? You know, like, mm-hmm. I, I think I've seen that in one mm-hmm. hymnal. Or do you have mm-hmm. a section I've of the hymnal that, yes. called mm-hmm. Prayer? Mm-hmm. Do you have a section called Eternal Life or Home in Heaven? Those are slightly different. Yeah. Do you have a section called Death and Funerals? I think I think that's a mm-hmm. section in one mm-hmm. older Lutheran hymnal. Yeah. You know, like how, how your hymnal life. arranges those things can over time influence the way that you uh-huh. yourself think of them. And I think that this is one thing that people who love hymnals really love about hymnals is that pedagogically they can be really power powerful means of forming your congregation's way of understanding themselves in the world and themselves in relationship to God. And of course, you have to have a congregation who's actually engaged with the hymnal, and a lot of congregations who have them are not. Oh, sure. No, I think like for years, Lutherans, Lutherans would say they were a, a people of two books, which was the Bible and the chorale book. You know, like these, mm, these yeah. are the things that form mm-hmm. your religious identity. Mm-hmm. And that that yeah. goes hand in hand with the maintaining of the hymnal as a source of continuity. You know, so if you altered your altered your hymnal drastically every 10 years, that couldn't be the case, you know, because you wouldn't have that continuity. Mm-hmm. And certainly not every congregation would get it because not every congregation can afford whenever a new hymnal comes out. Yeah, and that's a source of continuity across generations, it should be said mm-hmm. too. Like people yeah. Yeah. people's great-grandparents and them could share the same love of the same hymns with the yeah. same words, the same music. And that's something that a hymnal communicates very well. Can we talk about the other means of paper 
communication, which would be a bulletin or order of worship or a handout. I'm just kind of calling bulletins, but, you know, there are different words for this. Oh, sure. Yes. I think that the main means that those of us with hymnals in our church, the main means by which we say, oh, here's this new thing. Here's this supplement. Here's this new hymn I want you to learn. The main way we do that is with a paper handout, right? In in the churches that have have hymnals that we use regularly. Yeah. And I think that's I mean, speaking personally, here at St. Jude's, we use orders of worship, um, and that, mm-hmm. that's definitely how we teach the congregation new hymnody, or mm-hmm. hymnody that's new you, to them. Do you duplicate all the music? Like, uh, like, could someone go to a service and never open the hymnal if they wanted to? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, it's very rare that I'll just put the number of the hymn in the, in the hymnal, even if it is in the hymnal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because I think that's just easier. You don't have to juggle the books that way. I, right now, depending on space concerns, I might just like I'm 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 in the midst of a long term shift. But right now, what I'm currently doing is we might have a, a hymnal number. We might have a hymnal number plus words like the three stanzas of the seven that we're singing. Oh, sure, yeah, um, yep. But we might also print the whole music, and we might have arrows to spe- specific stanzas. What I'm saying is, like right now, because I feel like I, as a, I've been in this church for one year, I'm still um, in a little bit of a state of flux with how I want to present things. We've made a lot of oh, yeah, changes. absolutely. Like I'm doing a lot of different things right now, but that's not my end goal. My end goal is to have all the music with the music in the bulletin. But that's, you know, that's a, that's a process. Yeah. Oh, it's de- that's definitely a process. Yeah. I would say that. And it is, frankly, it's a lot more work. And that's one reason, that's one reason I haven't done it because, you know, I've, I'm doing other stuff too. And, and this is important to me, but it's not the most important thing to me. Yeah. Well, it takes, a, it takes a while to transition from one way of a congregation experiencing humanity to another. And mm-hmm. not the least of that is just the practical learning curve of mm-hmm. doing that. Mm-hmm. And I think something really important to think about with especially bulletins and not, not so much like a insert, a bulletin, I think, Crawford, you make the orders of worship where you are, but some churches have someone who's not very adept making their bulletins. Sure. And that means it can be really difficult to even get the words of a hymn in, much less a like a PDF of the, the music. Yeah. And that can be just a practical limitation of like, this just isn't going to work. Or a church that says, you know, our bulletins are eight pages and eight pages is the longest they ever shall be. And no, we can't make it a 12-page bulletin so that we can put our four hymns in. Sorry, not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like something that comes up over and over in discussions is just how different everything is based on your own individual congregation. So yeah, there's all sorts of practical concerns. I think one of the most obvious benefits of having a newly printed order of worship every week, um, and it's worth saying some places also kind of based off of the missalette thing, some churches will print off a selection of hymns that will be used for a particular season. So they'll have like a small booklet that they'll print mm-hmm. off of hymns for yeah. Lent oh, this yeah. year. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So I think we could include kind of all of these under the same heading though, which is mm-hmm. to say they are disposable or, you know, hopefully recyclable. Well, yeah. They're, yeah. They are ephemeral. They they aren't going to last from one generation to another. Right. They're they're produced out of the like repertoire that the music director and the, the pastor have said here. Yeah. And so especially do. if – Especially if you have a music director who is adept at working with Finale or Sibelius, you know, so that you can do your own typesetting. This allows you a lot of freedom. You can you can alter the texts slightly mm-hmm. if you feel the need to. Or unalter the texts. I do that sometimes. I'm like, I don't like this this quote unquote newfangled one. I'm I'm going back to that that Catherine Wentworth. 
Yeah, like you say something doesn't sing well. I want to alter it back so that it sings better or whatever. Say that you have a hymn like For All the Saints that has 2,000 stanzas, you know, and most of those don't get printed between the music. So, you know, the congregation is having to look down, you know, five lines of stanzas. You can just pick the four stanzas that you're going to sing and put them with the music Mm -hmm. and then put that in the order of worship. And it's so much easier, you know, and that's really mundane. Also, nobody send us hate mail because we aren't singing all 13 billion stanzas of this. Like, just, you know, (laughs) if that fills you with hate, you need to go talk to Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're never going to do that anyway. You're just going to announce which stanzas you're singing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, this <laughs> exactly. makes it so much easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, like, there are there are so many upsides to doing an order of worship that includes all the music. I think. Yeah. The, the downside is like it is it is more work. It if and you can't it's do it work, the morning of. You certainly can't also, pick your hymns that morning. Nope. It's not also happen. of its nature ephemeral and not. Um, What's the word that I'm looking for? In the way that we talked about how hymnals are capable of passing down information, orders mm-hmm. of worship aren't. So yeah. say that you have mm-hmm. a hymn that really speaks to someone on a particular Sunday morning. Unless they go home and save their order of worship, there's no guarantee that they'll ever have that hymn again. You know, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. maybe maybe you didn't notice that the hymn was – maybe it didn't actually speak to you, the director of music, that morning. Mm-hmm. And so you think, well, we're probably not going to do that hymn again. Mm-hmm. Whereas if mm-hmm. it's in the hymnal, that'll always be there for them. They can, you know, get a copy of the hymnal and sing it over and over to themselves. They can memorize it. You know, that that level of continuity is is not necessarily guaranteed if you're printing off a new order of worship week by week. Or say – and this is something that we've talked about before – say that you – change the the translation or you change words you alter them for whatever particular reason um and it could be a really good reason but say that you do that multiple times over the course of five years Mm -hmm. and you effectively have a hymn that no one in your congregation will be able to sing from memory because the words that they sang have been different every time um, and like, there could be really good reasons for that. Maybe you had good reasons for changing it each time, but you, you haven't provided them with something that they can sing deep within them because each time they've encountered it, it's been new on some level. To me, one thing that we're getting at, especially with a bulletin versus a hymnal, is that with the bulletin, you make the minister of music in many ways the curator of your hymnody. Yeah, there's a level of power there that I think can go unacknowledged. Yeah, and and maybe in fact it's actually, you know, the pastor, the priest, the whatever the whatever, but you make somebody not your denomination's hymnal committee like the arbiter of what you're singing. Although, I mean, there's yeah, certainly exactly. churches that I mean, I've I've been in churches, I've worked in churches where we printed the music in the bulletin, it was exclusively the music from the hymnal. So, you know, there're certainly exceptions to this, but if you're thinking of a bulletin as a means of supplementing your denomination's hymnal or... Yeah, if your idea of the bulletin involves new hymnody or altered mm-hmm. hymnody, then yeah. yeah, you have set up someone, either yourself or the pastor mm-hmm. or whoever is picking those hymns, you've set them up as the de facto arbiter of what is and what is not going to be included. Yeah, and I think that that can be a really, really good thing. But in some denominations, or maybe with some music directors, frankly, like that's not a really good plan. And I'm thinking especially of um, ministers of music, church musicians who are not of the same 
denominational background and don't have a necessarily nuanced understanding of like, well, here's exactly what this church believes about the Eucharistic celebration or something. And, yeah, you know, yeah. so you're just it, like, there's these little tricky things that happen denominationally um, in, in the nitty gritties of our belief, which just make this hymn unsuitable, this hymn more suitable. And they can be really granular and you might not really notice it until you're like, oh, that. I mean, I've had this happen to me. Oh, that choral anthem was just not not quite right, and I didn't pick up on it until too late. And and I think that's just how it goes. Yeah, exactly. And like that's something that like the work has already been done for you if you have a denominationally approved mm-hmm. hymnal. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That's one thing that I've liked as a church musician being able to just pick something from the hymnal because no one's gonna no one's gonna get upset with me by picking picking the Lutheran choral in the Catholic hymnal. No one's no one's gonna get upset. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, granted, this this depends on to a large extent on how successful your denomination's hymnal is. So maybe your denomination's hymnal or hymnals are not particularly successful, yeah. and in mm-hmm. that case, you're already dealing with this. Like, you may mm-hmm. have to yeah. set yourself up as the arbiter of, okay, mm-hmm. what in this hymnal is good, what in this hymnal is not good, and maybe you wouldn't want to just hand someone your hymnal as a way of introducing them to what your particular congregation. You know what? Believes. This is I. The church I work in is a perfect, perfect example of this. I work in a United Church of Christ congregation, and the United Church of Christ, as I understand it, has you know since they joined together in the fifties, it has Congregationalist churches, which are super New Englandy and. Um, congregational. They remind me of a Baptist polity structure. And then you've got your evangelical and reformed churches. These are coming out of Germany. So different places, different uh, church setups, different hymnody. And so the hymnal that we use is a really strikingly odd mashup, you know, to me as someone who didn't grow up in the UCC, it's an odd mix of like Lutheran crowds that I don't even know. And I've worked in Lutheran churches and, you know, trust and obey um, revivalist kind of songs and um, that that core repertoire that like all of our hymnals share. It's got that, but it's just got such this like, it's it's just a really odd mix of like, this is not, you know, this congregationalist church does not know these Lutheran hymns, like by and large, but it's in the hymnal because of the evangelical and reformed churches that are part of the UCC. So you have a hymnal that's not reflecting your congregation's particular yeah, I- yeah. particular and so identity. For me, for me, like I, um, I feel no pressure to do the hymns that I know they don't know because you know, of course, I don't feel pressure to do hymns hymns that they don't know. But what it means is like the hymnal is a great resource, but it, I feel no like great tie to this thing that doesn't really reflect the particularity of who they are. And I think that that's a big denominational thing. Yeah, yeah. Which is to say that your congregation isn't a really good spot for transitioning to Mm -hmm. using newly printed orders of worship Mm -hmm. every week Mm -hmm. or something like that. Because you're not – you aren't really intrinsically tied to your hymnal in a way that, say – An Anglican church that's using the 1940 hymnal? Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm not making any sort of, you know, political statement by bringing in a new hymn. It's it, it it's completely normative in this congregation. I'm not upsetting yes. any boats. Yeah. I, I wonder if it's the case in some Protestant churches, especially ones that are more loosely affiliated with other churches or completely non-denominational. I wonder if this model of like the pastoral staff as curator of hymnody makes a lot more sense than it does say in a Catholic church because like the the specific beliefs are so tied to that particular congregation. That said though, I think that the hymnal 
like the staff made, the music minister team made collection of repertoire can be really useful in any congregation because almost no congregations sing all the hymns in the hymnal, right? Like we just don't. Oh gosh, no. Yeah. So you, I, I think that's something that we maybe touched on a little bit earlier, but it should be reiterated. It's like- We don't sing all you, of them. Whoever is choosing the hymns is already acting as a curator of the exactly. congregation's yes. knowledge uh-huh. of their own hymnody. Uh-huh. The difference is that if you have a hymnal physically present, that can still be privately, personally not curated for the congregation. Uh-huh. So yeah. they still yeah. have access to the hymns that you aren't singing. Mm-hmm. And when you do hymn favorites, someone might ask for something that you've never sung yeah. last year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you have just an order of worship – then that level of curating is more binding because your congregation doesn't have access mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. the hymns that you're not singing. Do you want to talk about um, screens? Yes. I'm surprised by the controversy about them, especially because, you know, I keep on talking about how I grew up. I grew up in really conservative churches that were like, you know, if you have the screens, the people will put the hands up and this is bad and uh, screens are the liberal church thing. And of course, now I work in a liberal church, very progressive church, where I hear people say like, oh, well, screens are what evangelicals do, right? And I'm like, oh, oh, it's on both sides. Yeah. So like the misunderstanding extends on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. But is, what, I'm, what I'm thinking, though, is that it's a marker, right? It's a signal for what a church is like. And some people are like, I just don't want to signal that my church is like this or like that. In the way that some churches, you know, could easily have choir robes and they're like, no, we don't want to signal that we're that kind of church. Right. Or they could easily plug in the acoustic guitar and they're like, no, we're not going to plug it in. Yeah, exactly. But what it means is that the screens themselves, like the use of screens is not actually being addressed. Like we're just... We're reacting to signals around that particular thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like, we turn down the lights. Well, you don't have to turn down the lights along with putting up a screen. You know, or whatever, whatever, <laughs> yeah, whatever these yeah. other things are. You don't have to have a praise band in order to use screens. These these do not actually. Yeah, exactly. So, like, one of the things that you've mentioned pretty consistently that really moved me forward in my thinking about screens is accessibility. Like, if you have a congregation that can all see a screen, you know, and this is assuming that you don't have a really long church where no one could see a screen at the front. But if you have a, a, a church that works with a screen, you enable people who are either physically incapable of holding a hymnal, you know, due to disabilities or maybe they're holding a small wiggly child and there's no way they could maneuver the kid and the hymnal or the order of worship. But all they have to do is look up and there everything is on the screen for them, completely accessible. Um, and that's, that's opening the range of people who are able to participate in the singing mm-hmm. widely, you know, and, and that has nothing to do with musical style. I, I've heard people say like, oh, well, you know, our church doesn't have any disabled people. And I'm like, well, one, that's a shame and you should look at why that would be. Maybe your church isn't a welcoming space. But even if your church doesn't have people who aren't consistently unable to hold stuff, I don't actually think that that's true. I think that um, many churches have older people who just seem like they're not interested in singing because it's difficult for them to hold something or it's difficult for them to see something and maybe they need a larger print, Yeah. which by the way, should be larger than 14 point font. Sometimes people think that's large print. That's not large print. Um, there are other issues here that I think that we... Um, with accessibility that I think sometimes we think, well, I don't see a problem with it. And just think because I don't see a problem, there isn't a problem. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I would never have thought of small children wiggling 
being a problem for him singing. No, until, until you I had that yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Until I repeatedly experienced this. And it's like, and sometimes people will be like, oh, well, someone else could hold it for you. It's like, well, not if they're like four pews away from me. Yeah. Oh, it, it definitely. I mean, like, this is really yeah. common for all of us, right? Like, you don't yeah. realize how inaccessible a place in your church is mm-hmm. until you break your foot. Yep. And then you suddenly mm-hmm. realize how difficult it oh is my to goodness, get you, anywhere. You broke your foot, yeah. didn't you? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. a couple years back. And like, yeah, you suddenly <laughs> realize, wow, this, this oh. is really mm-hmm. profoundly inaccessible. Yeah. yeah so like yeah. presuming that you – like we're discussing the actual physicality of the screen. And like that matter is enormously based on your space. Like mm-hmm. do you have a space where everyone is kind of close to the front? Like is your space mm-hmm. rounder? Or do you yeah, have it, a smaller space? Or do you have a space that's maybe larger, but you have room to put multiple sets of screens in it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or do you even have wall space? Yeah. Provided that your screens are close to everyone, you not only are dealing with the issue of accessibility in terms of, oh, can you hold a book? Or is it easier for you to see a screen? But also visibility. Like, is is the print in the hymnal just too small, whereas the mm-hmm. print on a screen could be large mm-hmm. enough, if you're close mm-hmm. to it, mm-hmm. that you could see much easier. Mm. On, the, on the topic of vision, though, I've had a number of people tell me that screens are difficult for them to read. And I think what it is, is about having your head tipped up just slightly. And if you are using something like bifocals or trifocals, and you have your head tipped up a little bit, to read something on the wall that can be really difficult to see, apparently. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's like there's there's lots of complexity here. There's a lot more nuance than just like, this is the one way, the best way. Yeah, like I don't think screens are a panacea, mm-hmm. but I think yeah. – I think that there's a lot of animosity in certain circles towards the even the concept of screens that mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily need to be there. Like yeah. you can sing all of your favorite traditional hymnal hymns on a screen and mm-hmm. it just means that more yep. people are able to participate if yeah. your space yeah. is right for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's couldn't have said it better. That's exactly it. I think one big downside of screens though um is that sometimes it's tricky two big downsides of screens. One is that sometimes it's tricky to fit all the sheet music on there in the sense of the music notation. Oh, it's difficult sure, to get yeah. the music notation. And just to be clear, in case, you know, listeners haven't ex- experienced this, there are many resources for putting music notation on a screen. Like, this exists. It's oftentimes quite good. But, um, you know, sometimes the screen is small or, you know, your particular hymnal isn't, you know, isn't available in a digital uh, screen format. But <laughs> the other issue, I think, is, like, it's really pragmatic, but you know, this is important. Um, It can be really expensive to do screens. And if you don't have a good technician, uh, paid or volunteered, if you don't have someone who's really paying attention, it messes up everything. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I have definitely seen this in person. You know, I think we've probably all been in services where it's like, where are the words? Where did it go? Yeah. Like it has to be done with a level of competency and done well. And I think sometimes... Like, this goes back to the screens signaling different things. But, like, I think most of us have experienced – like, I, I feel like it is it is a common experience anyway – to have been in places where the screens were positively introduced as a signal. Like, they wanted to signal something good, but the rest of the music was actually not up to snuff. And yeah. so the, yeah. the screens kind of stand out as this large, expensive item – Mm-hmm. kind of backing up a really not great music program. Yeah. And yeah. I think that doesn't have to be the way that it is. Mm-hmm. The screens can be a really beautiful way to enhance and make more accessible 
a really well done music program. Mm-hmm. And I say this as someone mm-hmm. who probably won't be able to use screens because our space here at St. Jude's is yeah, if you tried to design a space that would be bad for the use of screens, would you would come up with something like this. <laughs> you know, a really long yeah, At least very you're not in the building. round, but still, like it's yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think I think that it's the, with the screens. It's not just about music because oftentimes churches, liturgical churches, um, that have screens, they'll put the prayers up there. They'll put the you know the litany, the the creed. Yeah, all exactly. That kind of like stuff everything that you would put in an order of worship if you mm-hmm. were producing one mm-hmm. is now capable of being put up there. Yeah. And if you're in one of the denominations that gets criticized as unwelcoming to new people because it's like, oh, they have to juggle three books and what 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 page am I supposed to be on? Like, this is a prime way to make it so that, you know, you are literally being more welcoming to people who can't keep track of which book they're supposed to be in. Yeah, like it addresses some of the things that you would be addressing if you produce a printed order of worship mm-hmm. every yeah. week, which is yeah. to say mm-hmm. you're eliminating the need to juggle things. And in this case, you're you're adding one you're taking away another thing, which is you don't have the need to juggle anything, especially if, say, you're juggling a kid, you know? Mm-hmm. So Yes. Yes, exactly. So let's talk about our last medium, if we can call it that, um, which is paperless music. And in the past, guess what? It was all paperless. For for lay people, I'm not talking about like, you know, your scola cantorum or something, but for lay, lay people singing, it was paperless for a very long time. And then even when hymnals were introduced, at least in America, the lining out tradition was very common where you'd have a leader sing one line of a hymn and then the other people sing in and one and sing a line of a hymn and other people come in. So so we have lining out. Um, and today, um, I don't think lining out is particularly common. I've certainly never encountered it in, in real life outside of a history textbook. But many churches teach music orally, where um, someone sings something and then other people join in. Yeah, and this is obviously specially suited to particular kinds of hymnody. So if you have a mm-hmm. shorter refrain, this is mm-hmm. really easy mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. We often teach um, the sound of music, the pitches of music orally because, well, one, a lot of people don't read music notation. And then in some of our churches, we don't um, usually give the music notation. Some people give just words and then you just have to learn the music by ear, um, which, you know, is kind of a whole nother issue. But but in church settings particularly, I think the paperless tradition is getting quite a resurgence. And may, maybe it's just the progressive Protestant circles that I tend to know people in. Um, but there are lots of folks who are really into paperless paperless music right now for congregational singing. And I think there's something to be said for the way that that accomplishes like on its own one of the things that we were originally talking about the use of hymnals, which is that you're able – to kind of deeply indwell the hymn in yourself. Like the hymn becomes part of you. And if you're learning the hymn by rote, that accomplishes that from the get-go. You know, it's not just that you sing the same hymn 50 times, you know, over the course of a couple of years and you mm-hmm. slowly learn it that way. But like yeah. this is the very means of your being able to sing the hymn is that it's part of you, mm-hmm. you know, which mm-hmm. is beautiful. I think um, with this paperless music – at least as I've seen it more recently, um, it's a means of welcoming non-classically trained, trained musicians into worship really quickly. And it's a means of welcoming children into worship, children who are maybe pre-literate. They don't know how to read words, much less um, standard music notation. And I think that there's a lot of appeal in doing some of this. I, I don't know that I would want to do this always and nothing else. And I don't, I doubt anyone's really arguing for that. 
Oh, sure. I mean, the, the limitations are pretty obvious. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's some huge limitations here. But I think that for some of what we do, it can be really, really great to have, you know, to have some hymns where we don't need the music and the children sing it also. I love that there's something there that that they can get in a way that they just can't with a four-part hymn with four stanzas that they hear once every six months to a year. And, you know, it's funny. I, I wasn't thinking of this originally, but actually this is something we we have some experience with here at St. Jude's. Um, because even though even though we'll print the music for the communion refrain or the psalm mm-hmm. refrain in the order of worship, I think actually yeah. most people don't don't sing that by looking at the order of worship. The can I play through the psalm refrain once, the cantor sings the psalm refrain. And then the congregation sings that back. And I think a lot of people don't look at the order of worship. They just orally memorize that. And you repeat it, of course, over the course of the psalm. And the same thing is true of the communion refrains. We have probably no more than eight different communion hymns that we use, and we just go through them in a cycle. And people know that communion refrain by heart, so they don't even have to take their order of worship up with them when they go forward in the communion line. They just, they have this refrain in them. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's exactly what we're talking about. I, I think that what we're getting at here is that there are things that paperless music can't really do for you. Um, the, let's go back to those seven stanzas of For All the Stains. It's not going to not gonna help you get all seven stanzas of that. But for certain kinds of things, paperless music can be a fantastic way of doing congregational singing. Yeah, I think I think that's definitely true. And it gets it gets at kind of what what the overarching push for all of these is is that you want if you're singing good hymnody, hymnody that that communicates beautifully what you believe as a congregation, then you want that to enter into everyone in the congregation. Mm-hmm. You don't want as anyone to feel can. left out of the mm-hmm. hymnody. Yeah. You want everyone to be able to to take the hymns and digest them and mull over them. You know, that's the beauty of of the hymnal, if you have that. That's the beauty mm-hmm. of the paperless music, is that throughout the week, the words of that hymn come back to you in, mm-hmm. in that tune. So that's, that's it for now about hymnals and bulletins and screens and paperless music. And... I think we're curious what you think and what works for you in your particular congregation. You can get in touch by emailing us at musicandthechurch at gmail.com. You can also find the show notes for this episode, musicandthechurch.com slash 40. That's four zero. And uh, before we go, I wanted to let everyone listening know that I also host another podcast. Its name is Called at the Intersection of Life and Ministry, and it's specifically for people who are in church staff positions. So if you want to check that out, just look for Called at the Intersection of Life and Ministry. And Crawford, I am so glad we got to have this conversation. This is a lot of rich nuance here. It was a delight. Yeah, you could talk about Mm. this stuff for hours, right? Yeah. Bye, y'all. We'll be back or at least I'll be back next month.